Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. Now, this is a streamed and recorded just casual chat with hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, and joy of podcasting. And once this live stream is over, I'm going to take the recorded files because we're podcasters and we record everything, and I'm going to turn it into a podcast as requested by the Better Podcasting community. First off, I had a great couple of weeks off. Thank you for allowing me to have a couple of weeks off. I moved my son across state lines. I did some fishing and helped do some projects up at the family lake home in Wisconsin. I introduced a new electric lawnmower to my available outdoor power tools. And if you're interested, ask me about it sometime. I have a lot of thoughts about it. And I was able to release a special episode of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. in which we, the team of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., interviewed the X-Men, the animated series creators, Eric and Julia Lewald. But now I'm back with a new Better Podcasting chat with SP this week with somebody, quite frankly, I've been looking forward to having a chat with for a very long time. More on that in a second. But first, wait, there's more, right? But first, I want to tell you that I'm interested in creating some content by chatting with you. Yes, you. You listening to me right now. If you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience and your podcast, if you're a hobby podcaster, if you're a passion podcaster, if you're just thinking about starting a podcast, if you've had a podcast for 10 years, any of that, I want to talk to you. Send me an email at stargatepioneer at gunnageek.com or a DM on Twitter or Discord, and we'll arrange a date to have you on the show. And speaking of somebody who reached out to me, this week I am joined by a passion podcaster who has recently grown in the podcasting industry and has communicated directly to a lot of podcasters while handling the moderator mail on the R Podcasting subreddit community. Nick Hobbs has been podcasting since 2017, who after college was waiting tables until he could make a living full-time in the podcast industry. Nick Volunteers is the manager of KCSF, San Francisco City College, online radio station where he mentors and helps hobbyists create podcasts. Nick also helps write and produce the popular 20,000 Hertz show and works full-time as a podcast producer in the iHeartRadio media family. Nick has been trained at a local NPR station and is self-taught on five different DAWs, which are audio editors. He's an avid podcast book reader and newsletter subscriber. And Nick is always looking to meet other podcasters and improve his interviewing, sound design, mixing, writing, and on-mic skills. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hi. Good to be here. It's USP. Great to have you, Nick. Seriously, this is the first time we've actually had a chance to talk in person. I know. It's great. It's been a long time coming. It has been. Now, I have to ask you, what inspired you to start podcasting? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So I went to school for writing, and I was really into writing fiction and poetry and storytelling. But surprise, surprise, it's pretty hard to make a living from that can also be pretty hard to make a living from podcasting. And um, at the restaurant bar where I was working one day, I met this this woman, Layla Day, I believe her name is. And she recommended that I apply to my local NPR station for their radio academy program. And I'd never really thought about it, but I kind of thought to myself, 
you know, I've been listening to NPR since I was a little kid in the car with my parents. I really love shows like Love and Radio. I was really into informative podcasts about space back then. We used to be, we were talking about that before the interview space stuff used to be a little bit better informed. Is that interplanetary something? (laughs) I can't even remember their names anymore, but Stuff You Should Know, Love and Radio, This American Life, Snap Judgment were some of my favorite shows. So I went ahead and applied. I told a kind of an awkward story for my application about a boy in my high school who passed away. Awkward because it was a little bit morbid. I like interviewed friends of mine who who felt like his his memory, um, like he wasn't remembered exactly like they would have wanted him, wanted him to be remembered. And I recorded it all on a flash drive. And it was the quality was terrible. And um, I did not get into the program. Uh. But I decided, you know what, I could just do this on my own. So I got a Zoom H1 recorder and got a little bit better at Audacity and um, went out and started making um, these podcasts where I would interview people on the street, combine that with an interview with some experts and make like an informative episode on, say, earthquake safety or small talk or online dating or other fun, other fun things like that. So that's kind of how I got started. Wow. So based on what you told me before in your answer right there, it sounds like you're really kind of radio trained into storytelling. Yeah, I am definitely storytelling focused, narrative focused. Currently, I work on a number of talk shows as well. And and I would say most hobbyist podcasters and most people that I've helped make their shows. Those have been talk shows, but my passions for um, narrative podcasts, those are the shows, my personal shows that I hosted, produced, ran were were narrative shows. And it's because of my experience growing up, the kind of shows that I knew, listening to NPR, This American Life. And that was kind of just what I thought a podcast was. So what inspired your first podcast name, The 38? That, uh, The 38 is the bus that used to run by my house in San Francisco. Yeah. I've never really been good at having a really focused idea with my own pet projects. So that was kind of just like, hey, I live here. I'm going to be telling stories out of San Francisco. Why don't I name it after the bus by my house? But I did have a really cool logo, which is just one of the, they call them muni buses. It's just the public transportation system in San Francisco. So it did lend itself visually if it's not such an obvious idea. You don't, you don't exactly know what the podcast is about from the title of it, right? So I believe it was in Shang-Chi, the recent Marvel movie. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but I believe they had a bus chase scene in that in San Francisco with one of the accordion buses. Did you see that? No, I didn't. I did see them buzzing around, helicopters buzzing around when they were filming the new Matrix movie. Oh. But I didn't see any. I didn't know. I didn't see that. Well, you'll have to, after this podcast, which I'll have to do, is probably on YouTube right now, the, the scene where the bus is racing around downtown you're gonna have to see and then let me know what you think of it because if you have used san francisco public transportation before oh i'm sure it'll give me nightmares it honestly (laughs) couldn't be any more horrifying than what you see on a muni bus just on a regular day in san francisco so okay there was some guy that did a twitter stream of consciousness as he was watching the scene when it finally got out to disney plus and he was a bus driver he was an actual bus driver and he was 
saying what was real and what wasn't. And actually it was, it was pretty real, but he was like saying, you know, some of the unreal parts is like, okay, that guy would have gotten fired. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So your second podcast, you've had two personal passion podcasts. Your second podcast was titled out of trouble. What inspired that title? Well, out of trouble, this one, I, you know, I, I learned, so it's slightly more focused, I suppose. I hope we'll, we'll see what you think. But it was right after the pandemic had started, and my life, like many others people's lives, had been completely flipped over. I lost my job, had a lot of time on my hands, and I just found myself, you know, engaging in maybe not some of the best habits, like feeling anxious, needing something to distract myself. So um, out of trouble, true to its name, it was a show that I started to keep me out of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I cannot argue with that. Yeah. A lot of people need to stay out of trouble too. So are you going to license that name out? You're going to franchise that out? I don't know, but I should. I actually do. I do like that one. I don't know who else would really want it or what else it would be useful for. But that one was more like an, I call it an audio blog. Like some people do vlogs on YouTube. It was also narrative style. And I would just tell stories from my life, life around me. It was also the summer that there was all these protests happening. So a couple episodes where I went to a protest, one that was like all skaters skating around and there's all kinds of cool skateboard sounds and just interesting folks to talk to. And um, yeah, all sorts of stuff. It's been an interesting couple of years. Yeah, it certainly has. Yeah. So you've been podcasting since 2017. It's about five years. How have you improved your podcasting over that five years? Well, before I started podcasting, when I was spending a lot of my time writing, there was one thing that it was either Stephen King or Stanley Robinson said in a book that I was reading, which is that if you want to improve at a craft, master a craft, which I put in quotes because I don't really think you ever master a craft, but plan to spend six hours a day doing that thing. Did it, Have I spent six hours a day for the last five years making podcasts? No, but I shoot for that. So really just putting in the time, <laughs> I think, has, has what has helped me improve the most. And I mean, I could get into the nitty gritty of really any aspect SP of podcasting that you want to talk about. But I think really just having the mindset of it takes the time and the dedication. And that's what I love about podcasting is it is a craft. And I want to, I love being dedicated to something like podcasting, you know, and I love podcasting. So, yeah. Yeah. I've literally done thousands of episodes of podcasts now and maybe not six hours a day, but maybe kind of close when you take into account all the weekends that I spent podcasting and stuff like that. I can definitely tell you you're barking up the right tree by just spending that amount of time podcasting and just the little incremental improvements that you do over time tend to, in my opinion, improve your craft, if you will. Yeah. And there's certain things like interviewing, which is really just, you just have to get out and do it. I mean, you can read all kinds of interview tips, but there's a certain amount of interviewing that is just an in the moment responding to what's being said thing that you just have to go out and do. The very first interview that I did on a podcast was way back in the Voices of Defiance, which was a podcast that I did on the sci-fi show Defiance. And so we had started to have some of the cast and the crew come on. And that was one of my first interviews. And I remember just being so nervous and wanting the audio to be so great. So I actually shipped out this person 
an Audio-Technica ATR2100 and had this person use the microphone or try to use the microphone. Unfortunately, they couldn't get it to work, so they ended up using their phone anyway. Yeah, yeah, that is a, uh, that's a common problem. There's all these little things that come up that you then got to learn that you have to do when you make podcasts, right? Like, for example, walking people through technology when you're doing remote interviews, which, yeah, can be difficult, very difficult for some people. (laughs) It can. And then I just got to the point of, I don't care if they're talking to me on a phone or not. They're the subject of the interview. They're going to be more important than me. So I, as long as they're listenable, even though it's not stellar audio quality, as long as they're listenable with a phone quality, then I will go ahead and have them on the show. I'm not going to be a stickler saying, no, you run this show or you're the star of this show. You can't come on my podcast unless you have a sure SM7B. No, I'm not going to do that. I know some people would want that, but I, I'm not going to do that. I got over that. But now I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with interviews, especially if I go into an interview while I'm prepared. And, and that's the key to be prepared, in my opinion, be prepared for an interview. Because if you're just walking in to somebody that you're meeting for the first time, you can have that conversation kind of like we're having right here. We could just have a, like an introductory conversation. But if you're really interviewing, if you really want to get the important information, you kind of got to be prepared in order to hone in and know when you're really striking gold, basically, of getting the person to say a new thing or something different or something like that. And then I'll just give the case of the Erica and Julia LeWald interview that I just did with uh, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. They have been out there for the past few years at cons at first, and then they started getting into the podcast circuit. So they have about a dozen interviews out there and some panels at conventions that have been recorded. And I kept hearing the same questions over and over and over again. There's a fanboy and fangirl questions about X-Men, the animated series, and Oh, who's your favorite mutant and stuff like that. And I really didn't get a lot of their them. Basically, I got a lot of how they made the show, but not a lot of them. So I wanted to get more of them out. So I was able to do that through preparation. So what kind of questions did you ask him? In listening to them, I figured out that, for example, Eric was the head of his film club in his university at Tennessee when he was growing up. And this was back in like the seventies and eighties. So you didn't have a blockbuster. You didn't have video rentals or anything back then. So they would show films and they would have to request films. And I don't, I didn't ever ask him where he requested them from, but I'm thinking some central library somewhere. So they'd have to request. And these are films that you couldn't go to the movie theater. You didn't have a, tons of streaming options back then or whatever. So the only way to see an on, in his terms, bastardized version of the film was to actually get the reels and a projector and actually show it in your own movie house. So he would get these films. So I was just asking him, so what's your favorite films? What, what are your film inspirations? What, fi- where were your favorite films that you showed? And he's like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. And then we were asking him some questions because they are now consultants on the new X-Men 97 series. And so we asked them questions about how does it feel to be a consultant versus a showrunner, basically. And, and nobody had thought to ask him that yet. So that was the first time that we had that. And then Julia, I learned that she was really into baking. It's her like favorite thing in the world to do. And oh, nobody had asked her anything about it. So I'm like, okay, so Julia, what's your favorite thing to bake? And not only did she tell me, 
but she also told me she has celiac disease, so she can't have flour. So that flour is like the basis of baking. So they've had to do alternative stuff in order to get her. So it was just stuff like that, that nobody else would know unless you knew to ask those questions. It's amazing what a little preparation does. And it's also amazing how many folks out there will forego even just a little bit of, if not preparation, thinking of questions, actually researching what else has this person said before. So I'm not just having them repeat the same thing that they've said a hundred times. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And along those lines, if you had, could have told yourself something back in 2016, 2017, before you started podcasting to make it easier to start podcasting, what would you have told yourself? Oh man. I would have told myself, honestly, you're not alone (laughs) is what I would have told myself because I, for a long time thought that there were not really hardly any other podcasters out there who were independent podcasters who were really interested in making uh, narrative shows. And that could not be further from the truth. It was more just about finding my worlds and getting connected with folks. So I don't think that that would have necessarily made it easier, but I think I would have felt a little bit less alone, which would have been nice, you know? So, but I, I think that I had the attitude, which did serve me in a lot of ways in other areas of life, but certainly with podcasting, it's like, if you want to do something with your life, do it now. And I kind of applied that with podcasting, you know, I figured I can actually learn this stuff on my own. I'm not too far away from being able to put all of this together. And that sort of jack of all trades mentality, I think is pretty pervasive in podcasting and has definitely served me in pretty much all my podcasting ventures. Yeah. That's an interesting mindset for me to hear because my first podcast, so I, I grew into podcasting because I was listening to a podcast or podcasts actually, but there's one podcast in particular. It was a fan podcast on the Battlestar Galactica show. And I just identified so much with the community and with the hosts that I was like, these are my people sort of thing. And ultimately I got to be friends with them and they asked me to come down to visit them for one of the host's birthdays. So I went down there uh, to Texas and I was there and it was New Year's Eve and they were doing a podcast and they're like, well, you're going to join us for the podcast, right? I'm like, Mm. sure. You know, this, this is my dream. I'm going to become a podcaster now. So that's my very first podcast. I've linked it on a previous episode here. I've gone back to listen to it. I think it's episode like 252 of Galactic Water Cooler. I go back and listen to that. I'm like, that is, that is so bad. Because <laughs> they, they come on in like a, a good radio crew, right? They're on it. They're banging on each other right away. They were just like talking like normal, whatever. But as soon as they hit record, they were on live person, online personalities, like broadcast personalities. And they were, just- my friends call that my podcast voice. I don't hear it. I don't hear it, but I just think it's me. <laughs> but like, I don't, I try not to say like, and um, as much, it's a struggle, but. So my very first podcast wasn't alone. It was with four other people. And then I get home and all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, I have no idea what to do. Somebody tell me what to do. I, d- I don't know anything about this. So I spent years going from a headset, a USB headset to actually getting a, a microphone set up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to do this alone. And so 
I had, I'd asked probably about a dozen people all told to be co-hosts with me. There were two shows on sci-fi. So I'm a sci-fi guy. I, I like to review sci-fi or talk about sci-fi. Those are my people, right? And there's two shows on at the time. There was Continuum on Sci-Fi Channel, which I really enjoyed that show. And then there's this new show coming on called Defiance. And I tried to get people to do it. Finally, I, I got a couple of people to do it. And we went and go went ahead and did Voices of Defiance. I didn't know anything. I remember, I don't know how long it was, but I remember spending the episode itself. I don't remember how long the episode was. It was 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, or something like that. I must have spent 22 hours editing because I wow. never used Audacity before. Right. Yeah. The only thing that got me through that was that I was not alone. I went out to my co-host, who was one of the podcasters on Galactic Water Cooler and had experienced podcasts producing himself. So he actually was able to talk me through it. And I think eventually I would have started podcasting as a solo podcaster. I would eventually have done that, but that prevented me from doing it. So I actually applaud you because that's years, literally years that I went by that I did not podcast every, I guessed it on other podcasts and stuff like that, but I did not go ahead and, and podcast until I had a running buddy basically. And you just went and did it on your own and you were solo the whole time. I just went for it. Yeah. And I, I will say, so I think that the reason the shows that I aspired to were more professional productions, right? So when I'm looking around in the independent space, I'm like, who else is in this independent space? Guys like Jack Reisider, right? Yeah. Reisider. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Jack Reisider of Dark Knight Diaries, like him, you know, he's in the independent space. He's making an amazing narrative show. So looking around, I wasn't seeing a lot of those books, but I will, I will say that and in one sense, I felt a little bit like, hey, where are my peeps? And they actually were out there and I did find them. In the other sense, I never felt more connected to people because I was not exactly, I wasn't not outgoing, right? Like I, I, I loved hanging out with people, friends, et cetera, of course. But the idea of walking up to someone on a street with a microphone and being like, hey, talk to me about earthquakes was mortifyingly scary, right? <laughs> so breaking that barrier and then breaking that barrier again and then breaking that barrier again and then again and then again changed my personality quite frankly and it was more the the editing and the being in the dark room side of podcasting that i initially was drawn to but that sort of personable outgoing part of podcasting that was incredibly difficult and also so rewarding so i you know i'll say like my message would have to myself would have been like, Hey, yo, you're not alone. But really at the time, I really felt more connected to, to people around me than I ever had because I'm going out and talking to people. Yeah. You had to face that fear and talk to people because you needed the people to tell the stories. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it's so fun to find that you can, or, you know, that I could form connections with people I'd never met before. And then I realized like, Oh, interviewing is actually like the shortcut to get to know people you know, and, and to feel connected to folks and, and to give folks an ear. And so many, so many folks have, that I've interviewed, you can tell that they're just so appreciative to have someone to, to really listen to them. It's so important. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, moving on to something, another topic really quick, it wouldn't be a better podcasting episode and my audience would crucify me. If I didn't ask you what kind of podcast gear do you use today? 
So I am using a, a Shure SM7B, one of the most popular microphones in podcasting, and I have it hooked up to a Zoom H5, which uh, I've never really gotten an audio interface because I've never really felt the need. I have used, 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 and hopefully not quite abused this Zoom H5 because I use it to go out and do field recordings, interviews you know, at, at other people's houses, out in the world, and then I also use it as my audio interface at home. So it's a pretty simple setup. I just have a the SM7B little, you know, boom arm and hooked up to my Zoom H5. So no cloud lifter or Fedhead or any other preamp? No, the, the H5, un- unlike the H4, which I actually had first, has a pretty good preamp. So I don't actually need to put it through a lifter, which is clutch. <laughs> yeah. So I have an H5. I love the thing. I When I'm out and about, I've evolved, I guess, to the Zoom PodTrack P4. Yes, is another great piece of equipment. Recorder. There's disadvantages to the P4 that are advantages to the H5, uh, one of which is all the recording modes on the H5 that you can have that don't exist on the P4. And the onboard mics, I would say, too, are, are pretty good. I was just going to say, what kind of capsules do you have? Do you just have the XY capsule or do you have other capsules as well? I just have the stereo capsule. I just have the XY capsule. Okay. And but I have some other microphones that I'll that'll hook into it. I have a couple of shotgun microphones, some like reporters microphones, just omnidirectional microphones that are good for doing the back and forth kind of thing. You and I differ a little bit on that, I can tell right away, but I understand where you're coming from at least. You don't wanna not pick up sound as you're going back and forth. But at the same time, uh I like the super cardioed mode yeah. of the MD46 better for that situation. Yeah, I started using the those omnidirectional. I have a both the the dynamic one's a little bit better because it at least doesn't pick up sound from as not as sensitive. But I started using those omnidirectional mics and then and switched more actually to using the shotgun microphones because yeah, it's a more narrow beam of sound capture, if you will. So I I would say that that is superior in a way although i did also i liked having the texture of hearing the street if i'm talking to someone on the street or something and the 38 or out of trouble or something so i didn't necessarily mind having that extra sound as long as the person's still clearly intelligible Mm -hmm. i also have i believe it's the sgh6 shotgun capsule for the zoom recorders how is that i've used it at a panels that we've done, I've used it when I'm recording somebody's panel. And honestly, there are better shotgun microphones out there. Yeah. But if you're talking about simplicity of form, if you have that H5 on a hot shoe, you only have the H5 on the hot shoe because the shotgun microphone is part of it. So you don't have to have like a part of the hot shoe on the camera. And for those that might not know what I'm talking about, camera rigs have different extensions to them which are called hot shoes which you can put lights on microphones recording devices that sort of thing and if you are going solo out there and have some sort of recorder like the h5 you can put that on a hot shoe you can also put a shotgun microphone on another hot shoe as well as lights i mean there's different mounts to these cameras that you can get and that nowadays you can get mounts that uh, are stabilizers for the cameras as well but they 
if you have all that on the camera, you got to get a stabilizer that can carry a lot of weight on it as well. But anyway, I don't have that. I just have a simple one that I put on a tripod as I bump my microphone, as, as I put it on a tripod and just stay there. So I don't really need a stabilizer for all of that. But I have used that shotgun microphone and yeah, it's it worked better than not. But I wish I, you know, one thing I have not explored yet are shotgun microphones. And uh, some that entice me are the Deity, uh, the Aperture, as well as the Rode NT4, I believe is their newest one. And the Sennheiser MKH416. Those are the ones that I've had my eyes on. I know there's more available now. I haven't really researched them in the last two or three years, but those were the ones that I wanted to go with. So. Yeah, I know the NTG is pretty popular. I don't have the name off the top of my head, but there's another shotgun mic that's really popular. And I think this one email listserv I'm on and that a lot of shows that I listen to, their producers use it. I don't have one, but it's just another. I can tell you later if you want. It's just another sure. shotgun mic. Of course I want to know. And then I have a pretty, I would say, geeky shotgun microphone. It's another, you know, long string of numbers that I would that I have to look up. But the important thing about it is that it's uh, it has a five pin XLR. Right. So instead of the three pins that plug in, it has five, which I'd never had a microphone before that had that. I thought that was kind of cool. And then it has a mid side arrangement. So it records head on. And then it also records. So, you know, you have two, like on my Zoom H5, I have two inputs. It plugs into one input and records head on straight ahead. And then it plugs into the other input and it records side to side. Nice. But the side to side is like combined into one input. It's called a mid side arrangement. And, um, it's a fun toy. <laughs> I have not practically used it a whole lot. I'm not going to lie. I picked it up off Craigslist, which by the way, if you're looking for deals on gear, I kind of just like go on Craigslist sometimes and see what people are selling out there. And I've gotten some pretty, a few pretty sweet deals like on my Zoom H5 and that, that microphone. I do have a caution for Craigslist and microphones. If you do that, make sure you ask them if they are a smoking household or not. Because if they're a smoking household and they've used the microphone in the household, you're not going to get that smoke smell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. 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 I've not had that issue, thankfully, but I could totally imagine that. Yeah. That's one thing I learned. I tried to up my game once and I bought a BCD1 off Craigslist and I did not ask. And it was a cold night. I was at McDonald's. I live where there's actual winter. So like I had a park on and stuff and we were doing the normal Craigslist. I'll meet you somewhere. So it was in a parking lot in McDonald's. It wasn't in the McDonald's. It was in the parking lot at McDonald's. He showed me the microphone. The microphone looked great. It was in the case. And uh, it wasn't until I got it home. I got it home. I was so, so excited. I opened it up oh, no. and I wanted to use it. And then I took a breath in. It was like, what? And then I, I brought it up to my nose because it was like, is that coming from the? Oh, yes, it is. So I put it out in my garage for like two weeks. And it still didn't get the smell out. I actually had to break the whole thing down and clean it to get most of the smell out. Oh, man. And did it still work after you put it together again? Well, I had to do some repair because I broke one of the connections. But luckily enough, I do have a solder iron and I was able to put it back together. Yes, it works. Because of that, I will never sell it or give it to somebody because well, I might and just tell them I've rebuilt it. Uh, but yeah, I never wanted to give it to somebody. and say hey this might break on you <laughs> but right I, I got the smell out and it worked so right and i guess putting back together a microphone is not rocket science 
No, it's not. But you'd be surprised at the links you have to do because, especially with these broadcast dynamics, which the BCD one is is basically a, a large diaphragm broadcast dynamic. The foam that's internal to the microphone, you, you just can't like put it. You have to like shove it in, and you have to make sure it fills out the cavity and stuff. It's not easy. You you have to actually, you know, do some unique things in order to to make it get in there with the uh, diaphragm with the capsule the microphone capsule in there so yeah all right let's move on so when you're interviewing guests and you're not in person what Mm -hmm. do you use to connect to guests these days i'm using it depends what show i'm working on so for my regular job i'm using riverside a lot and um for personal projects and also for this, my side gig with 20,000 Hertz, I'm using clean feed. And I actually, if you need video, Riverside's great, but it is not quite as reliable as clean feed in terms of stability of connection and clean feed. You actually hear the high quality local recording live as you're talking to the person, which is really cool. So I would, I would recommend clean feed between the two. And I'm curious on your opinion, SP. And they, they also just did win an Emmy, an Emmy award for advancements in technology in the film industry, which is really great for them. Yeah. Clean feed. But yeah, that clean feed for audio only Riverside for video and audio. That's what I'm using. When clean feed was just coming up and they knew that I was doing better podcasts and they did reach out and said, Hey, do you want to try this? I, I believe I, I want to say they, we're from Europe, right? The creators of Clean Feed. I'm not. I'm not sure, to be honest. I want to say they were, and maybe I'm wrong on that, and my audience will correct me. I'm sorry about that. But they reached out, and we did some test recordings back then, and I enjoyed it. And every time they've used it, because sometimes I get on somebody else's podcast and they're using it, and I've enjoyed it every single time. For cost sake and simplicity sake, and because I want to use something that the hobbyist would use. I don't have the free version of StreamYard. I do pay a $10 a month plan, but I use StreamYard specifically because I know that if you're not techie and if you want a way to connect somebody and stream it or record it somewhere, whether it's YouTube, Twitch, whatever, StreamYard is pretty versatile that way. So that's why I use StreamYard. But I'm not averse to using everything else. I've also used Riverside for different projects as well. Out of those two, I'd probably go clean feed for myself if I was doing, if I was monetizing and making sure that I had the least amount of drops and the highest audio quality for like the least amount of cost overall, I'd probably go clean feed. But again, it doesn't do video. Doesn't do video. Doesn't record video. On better podcasting, we used video ninja and i plan i was talking to the legends of shield crew about that and i think we'll transition to that i'm hoping that my new computer setup will be able to handle all of that i had two things running against me i did have a gaming computer which should have been able to handle all the uh, video back and forth but it was a pre-built machine and it had some limitations built into it unbeknownst to me in the bios which i just found out about as i built my new computer so that might have been an issue, but my other issue is that I don't have 
fiber. I have broadband cable and I don't have a lot of it. I have the maximum that I can get, but it's just not that great. And I've even thought about using Starlink, but there's delays and actually Starlink isn't as fast. Is that even available? Can you use Starlink? Yeah, you can get on a beta list and get it. Yeah. The terminal is like 600 bucks for all the hardware for it. That's a one-time purchase though? That's a one-time purchase, but I believe it's like $80 a month for the service. Oh, wow. That's not exactly cheap. (laughs) It's not, but if you live out in the middle, like if I lived in the ruralness of West Virginia, Mm -hmm. it might be the only way that I could connect. Right. I don't know if you remember or not, but during the pandemic, there was a lot of studies as to the broadband availability or internet availability across everywhere because students needed to use it for distance learning. And some like San Antonio, what they would do is they would take school buses, they would put repeaters, Wi-Fi repeaters in them, and they would park them all the way around the city to make sure that kids would have access to internet. Right. Something like a Starlink could help that out if they could give the terminals out to somebody that was subsidized, basically. And put it that yeah. way. I know, I know there's a big thing that just as we're recording this interview, there's a big thing that happened with SpaceX and Starlink not getting a basically a $1 billion subsidy to make uh, broadband internet available in rural areas. But Which is a bummer because that's so hugely important, right? And one struggle that I feel like is unique to America is compared to a place like Europe, which has faster inter- internet speeds than us. Like we're pretty behind them couldn't give you exact figures but last i heard is that we're are we're not doing that great compared to europe in terms of our internet speed and it's also largely because we have these massive rural areas right that it's just hard to harder to connect to there's some guy in upper michigan i think i've heard him on like the daily tech news show if i remember correctly but there was a new article about him he basically created his own isp because the cable company was charging extraordinarily amounts of money to get high-speed internet so he created his own so that he could get it and his community could get it and it's a side business but he is a network engineer as his full-time job not everyone has those capabilities but i tell you what even here in los angeles i I was surprised when i moved here a year ago that internet availability i mean obviously there's internet everywhere here but you pay a lot for pretty slow speeds here. There's only really one provider that goes above 50 megabytes a second. And when I moved here, I had some lady try to sell me on six megabyte a second download speeds, but it's a dedicated line. So it'll be just as fast as if you had, you know, faster internet that was shared with your whole apartment building. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure six megabytes a second is not fast no matter how you slice it, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I have heard that in some cases where it's basically daisy chained, where it depends on what the usage is on the line. I've heard like my parents have that issue too. So yeah, it is a thing. It is a thing. So you're not currently producing your own podcast, right? Because you're doing podcasting full time, right? Yes. I just don't have the time. And I think I'm also at a point in my podcasting career, if you will, where I really want to work with other people and learn from other people and be parts of teams and stuff and get paid. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it was it was a sort of a forced transition from supporting myself through being in the service industry to podcasting. But now I'm sort of in a at a place where I got to make money, you know? Yeah, you get pretty aggressive on, on uh, 
doing career things when you need it. Yeah. If you were really quick, if you were producing right now, uh, which podcast media host do you think you would choose? That is a great question. Um, and it's interesting because I started on Libsyn, I've used Blueberry, and now I've also, through my job, used Megaphone and Omni, which I don't think many ho- hobbyists use. But I will tell you that I, I would not, and I've used Anchor as well, I would not use Libsyn or Blueberry, and I don't really know which one I would choose, but I would I would start over and shop around and 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 pick pick another one. I'm not totally satisfied with with Lipson and Blueberry for dips, different reasons. I think mostly having to do with you know, and they're great companies and great hosting websites. So I don't want to say too many negative things about them because there are things about them that I really do like. But they're the old dogs, and and they kind of have not been as innovative as I think some of these new podcast host websites that have come out that. I really only know my name. I've heard of through, you know, moderating on our podcasting and learn about learn a little bit about them and and I'd be interested in finding a provider that is popular and and is sort of a little more innovative than I think these old dogs in the business are, you know. But they're great and they're solid and their longevity is actually a big part of the reason why I chose them originally because they'll probably be around in another 10 years. I don't know about that because Lipson right now <laughs> It just appears. So I talked to investor uh, people and Lipson right now appears like they're positioning for to be taken over, basically. Mm. But we'll see. Uh, It has to do with their stocks and their reporting and stuff like that. I have no inside information. I have no idea. As as long as my RSS feed survives, the 38 still on there. Then if they go by a different name or they're swallowed up, I'm I'm okay with that. I do like, I have used Lipson for most of my podcasts. And I do like the fact that when you're done actively producing, you can throttle yourself back down to a $5 a month plan yes. and then still keep that, uh, that website landing page yes. as well as your podcast going. So you don't have to worry about any updates, to the RSS or the website, they make it all compliant and stuff like that. So that I have enjoyed some of the other ones that I've been looking at captivate transistor Sprout. When I went to Podcast Movement last year, I went to a Buzzsprout presentation. I had some issues with some of the things that were being presented, basically. I think I'd have to delve into more of the information of that based on the presentation. But I would be very interested in getting somebody from Captivate on the show. I have reached out to Mark Asquith, and unfortunately, time zones, I think, are going to be an issue between the two. Plus, he has a newborn, and he wants to spend time with the family. So we'll see how that goes. And then also, again, really quick, your approach to graphics and show art, do you do it yourself? Do you have somebody else do it? And if you do it yourself, how do you do it? So for Out of Trouble, I was doing it myself. And I did it through Headliner. Well, so it depends. Like the show art, I actually met a guy on Twitter or had someone recommended to me and found an artist who just did like graphic design and actually paid him to make a design for me, which was the first time that I had paid someone to, to make a design before for other shows that, you know, I was helping folks out with at City College or for the 38 mostly doing it myself or helping other people do it for themselves, you know, using tools like Canva is a pretty good one. 
But I will say that if you have the money, it's particularly for show art, that's a really good thing to hire out for and a really good thing that will give your show a more professional sheen, if you will. And then Headliner I was using to make like audiograms, so just other types of visual content for podcasts that I could put on social media, which we could have a whole other conversation about social media marketing because I got very disillusioned with it. And it's not necessarily the route that I would recommend going, not spending a ton of time trying to build a social media following for your podcast is not exactly what I would recommend. But yeah, Headliner was a, was in any case still a pretty cool, easy to use tool to make little video clips for my podcast. I would love to follow that thread right now on podcast marketing, but we're not going to because we have something else planned, but maybe I'll have you back in another month or so so we could talk about it because that's an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, just really briefly, I think social media is great as a place for people who have already discovered your show to come and congregate, but not a great place to actually try and find new listeners unless you're really planning to spend a lot of time on it. And even then it might not be worth it. So, yeah. All right. So what we did discuss before was your love and experience in reading books about podcasting. This is not yeah. something we've covered a whole heck of a lot on better podcasts. And so as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, Ooh, I'm interested. So I have read a few books on podcasting that have been recommended and I've got a Kindle full of maybe half a dozen or more. But you have actually read some, and I was reading the synopsis of some of these. I'm going, whoa, this is a really good one that I would want to know about on podcasting. So what are some of the books, Nick? Yeah, so it's interesting. Where should I start? I guess I will start with one that I read more recently that I think is a really good book for anyone who's just started thinking about making a show, is getting more serious about it. And that's this book. It's called Make Noise by Eric Newsom. And um, that book I found to just be the easiest to just read through and at the same time conceptualize a show. I mean, that's that's actually what I did with it. I was thinking about pitching a show and and this book really helped me think through what that show would be and start to develop it. And it's not so much like a manual, like I would say something more like NPR's podcast startup guide is this one is so dense with information has pretty much everything you'd want to know about making podcasts but it's a lot to digest and it's and i found make noise to be a little bit better to be like as i'm reading through it i'm developing a show at the same time and that was like a fun experience and the book itself is a little bit more readable as opposed to reading something that's a little bit more like a manual i mean the author of this one, oh, what's his name? Uh, Glenn Weldon does a pretty good job of trying to be humorous and whatnot, but it's still more manual-like, so maybe maybe a little bit better as like a reference. But the books that I'm I'm really passionate about that I you know have kind of been going back to for years, like make notes from glance at. Of course, they're more about like making narrative shows, uh, and this one is passed around. Like there's probably a copy of this lying around like every NPR station in the country. It's this book right here out on the wire. And this is written. It's actually a graphic novel. This is so cool. Oh, it's nice. a graphic novel about how to make radio. And the author, Jessica Abel, this is written years ago, drawn and written years ago, like 15 years ago or something. She went to, as she calls them, 
the new masters of radio. So people like Jad Ablamrod from Radio Lab, no longer the host, and Ira Glass of of This American Life, and and others, and ask them, you know, about their process, how they do their thing. And it's surprisingly, like I've made notes from this book. It's surprisingly, even though it's a graphic novel, it's surprisingly practical, <laughs> and uh, really get a lot of practical information out of it. And the fact that it's a graphic novel makes it very fun to read. <laughs> Yeah. So I was looking at that and it reminded me very much of a book that I had read at some point. I have a digitally by Scott McCloud called Making Comics. And it's literally the same thing where it's this graphic depiction of what's going on throughout the whole thing. So I can personally attest to the fact that you can get a lot of information out of that. Now, this book was a little different because it was a comic book about making comics, but still it was the same sort of thing. So I can only imagine that Jessica probably did it because she had seen Scott's work before. I'd have to go back and see which one was actually published first, but yeah, it, it was pretty cool. And then another thing I wanted to mention really quick on make noise with Eric Newsom. The first time I had known about Eric Newsom, he was on a show that I also guessed it on called pod Lords by Jim Harold. And I listened to an episode. If you want to hear Eric's take on things, the episode that he did on Pod Lords, and he's done it a lot of other pod guests on podcasts as well. But I thought that Pod Lords episode was pretty good. And the interesting thing about Eric is he's not a prolific podcaster himself. Yes, he has podcasted in the past, but really he did kind of what you're doing. And he was on the production side of things in radio and really learned how storytelling in radio worked a lot better. And he kind of grew up in the NPR, the public radio scheme of things. But if you're looking at that sort of storytelling and wanting to know the ins and outs of a good way to tell a story, and it doesn't have to be the, you know, the NPR actual, you know, storytelling with Radio Lab or, or anything like that, it could just literally be telling a joke. Right. And to tell that story correctly, uh, he's got a lot of experience with that and not just with the storytelling, with also like morning radio and stuff like that. Eric Newsom is a great resource. So I can attest that Make Noise is also a good book. And he's been a part of shaping my opinions about podcast marketing. A big thing that's very present in this book, Make Noise, is really thinking about your audience right at the start. And again, it depends what your goals for your show are. You could just be making this show for fun and want to make something that you really enjoy making for yourself. And I think that's totally awesome and fine. And I, you know, I even think that more people should do that. If it, you know, it was hobby podcast, right? It can just be a hobby. But if you want to have a show that's could be a big hit, then you're not making it for yourself, right? You're making it for your audience and really having that be a part of your process from the very beginning. This book, Make Noise, is great for that. You also had a couple other books that you wanted to talk about, Reality yeah. Radio and Elements of Journalism. Yeah, and you know, I will say before I show these 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 other two books that there's a lot of really great books out there, and these, these are just a few. But yeah, so this was actually the first book about radio that I read. It's called Reality Radio. It's a little... Uh, it's um, not practical, <laughs> is what I would call it. Is that the first edition? It is the second edition. Okay, Second good. edition, yeah. And... Uh, it's it just has editors because it's actually essays written again by um well-known people in the radio podcast world 
uh, Alex Spiegel, the Kitchen Sisters, who uh, not a lot of folks know. I didn't know before I read this book, but they were one of the first people to begin to cut audio in more dynamic ways and use it in more actually by with scissors cutting analog tape putting it back together in ways that are comparable to what folks are doing now with digital audio workstations and audio editors they were some of the first pioneers of that jay allison um yeah all sorts of folks but this one was more just like inspiration like they was folks talking about what it means to make documentary radio and it, and it was big in forming some of my opinions about like the potential of podcasting which is regardless of what type of show you're making really there's like this army of people out there who are willing to educate the public on their own dime basically for free right and of course lots of people making podcasts are trying to make money but there's really so many people out there who are trying to find those knowledgeable folks to have on their show who are trying to synthesize information to teach you things for free, you know? And I think that that's really amazing. There's so much power in that. And reality radio kind of helps shape my viewpoint of sort of like the potential of podcasts. So it was more inspiration than really practicality, but I definitely, it's, that was a fun re- read, I would say. Yeah. And then you also wanted to talk about the elements of journalism. Yeah, which I included. This is not really a book about podcasting, but I, I included the elements of journalism just because, and kind of sort of along those lines, uh, with great power comes great responsibility, you know? And I think that for anyone who intends to have an audience, it's good to understand what that means and what it means to what kind of power that you hold when you have a lot of people's attention, you know? it's. It's good to have an appreciation for for an understanding of that power. And not only that, but the elements of journalism also gets deep into how to give people what they want. If you want to have a show that could become a big hit, that could get a lot of listeners, you you have to know how to give folks what they want. Again, so um, it's not just the sort of, oh, you got to be a responsible thing, but it's also a practical, like, this is how people want information presented to them. To them, you know, these are stories of successful media ventures in the past where people have informed and also garnered wide audiences, you know. This one was updated to the fourth edition in 2021 to include the importance of reporting in the age of media mistrust and fake news. So it is current because of the fourth edition. If you happen to get a previous version, I would advocate going for the fourth edition because it's more applicable to what we got now. I would fully agree with that. Now, I would be remiss because I introduced it, but you say that you are proficient in five different DAWs. Yeah. I love editing. (laughs) I love the dark room. What is your favorite DAW to use? You know, the most recent one that I learned, which is um, Reaper, because it's just very flexible and powerful, and it reuses a shockingly small amount of processing power, which I absolutely love. Yeah. But yeah, Reaper, which I started learning, uh, where, or which I learned, you know, just in this last year, is my current favorite. There's things that I like about all of them. I've used, so I've used now Reaper, Pro Tools, 
for work, I use mostly Audition. And, I, and then I started on Audacity and then Hindenburg. And Hindenburg, I also have to give a shout out to as far as just for ease of use. If you're not really interested in getting really technical and learning a complicated digital audio workstation, go for Hindenburg. It, you're not going to have as many options in terms of what you can do. But that's okay because for most, for a lot of shows, you're not going to need those options. You know, if you want to, like, I like to get crazy with sound design, be pitching things up and using all these weird plugins for no reason, but you don't necessarily, for most shows, you don't really have to do that stuff. So big shout out to Hindenburg. And then if you are trying to get fancy, then yeah, Reaper's great. Reaper's great. It's interesting that said processing power because I use Vegas Pro because I do a video component as well. And that like eats all that. That's why I have this new gaming computer because I wanted all the products. I got the state of the art processor, the best GPU I could afford. And as it turns out, that doesn't really matter all that much. But I did get the 3070 GPU. And also, it was the only one I could find at the time because GPUs yeah, were hard to find. Right. And I've got tons of memory, tons of storage, and everything. And I'm like, now I'm ready to go with Vegas Pro. And I'm still having issues with Vegas Pro. So I am going to, I've threatened quite a bit to try um, both DaVinci Resolve and Reaper. So I'm going to do that. I did meet the Hindenburg guys at Podcast Movement last Very year. Cool. I was impressed with the demo that they gave because they had a panel, panel with a demo on it. I was impressed with that. I sat down with them for a little bit. I'm like, this is awesome. Audio uh, dramas should love this. And then I talked to some audio drama guys that tried to use it. And they're like, yeah, but it only does like 50 tracks or something like that. I need more than 50 tracks. I'm like, really? It has a limitation on how many tracks you can have? I don't know what version they were using. And, and I shouldn't speak out of turn here because I still think that Hindenburg is really good. And I think yeah. it'd be awesome for audio dramas specifically. But I'll have to go back and look and see what the limitation on the tracks are. Do you know, I don't know if you remember, do you know if Hindenburg, if you can automate plugins on Hindenburg? I think so. On on every track, I believe you okay. can throw in plugins there. Matter of fact, you can put plugins in uh, intermediate in the track too. You can do a selection on a track and, and then do an effect just on that selection. Because when I was using it was before I got like really into automating plugins which is like vital if you're trying to do any any more than the most basic mixing and whatnot i say the most basic maybe i should just say basic because i think for most shows you do not necessarily need to be automating plugins but anyway yeah that's one thing where i wonder how because if hindenburg had a had a good system for automating plugins and it was easy to use that's one of my big complaints with audition is you can't move keyframes this is going to get kind of technical but when you move around your clips on the timeline, it doesn't move keyframes with it. So let's say you make changes to your volume where you like want it to fade down here and fade back up and go flat. So that'll move when you move clips on the timeline. But if you want to automate other things, say like pitch, sure, that's a simple one. If you want the pitch of a droning note in the background to go up and then down and then even out and go back up or something, when you move around your clip, that automation of the pitch isn't going to follow the clip. So in my workflow, I have to save any automation that I want to do for the very end and then use this really annoying workaround if I then want to move any clips around on the timeline and save the automation that I've done, which is crazy that Audition hasn't figured that out. And I look it up online and I see other people like me who are just like losing their minds on message boards like, 
audition. How have you not figured this out already? But it, it's true. It's nuts. That, that's that's the thing. The reason I haven't gone audition, which was a consideration before I did Vegas, the reason I didn't cost and uh, yeah, cost is the big one, either the original purchase or the subscription model. And when you come to think about it, the subscription model isn't that bad, but it's really high with audition. This is another reason why I like Reaper, because their cost is much more reasonable and it's such a powerful program. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, I'm going to have to check that one out. All right. So really quick, there's some questions that I want to ask you. Do you have any uh, advice or tips and tricks specifically for passion podcasters? Maybe the top one you're thinking about? Yeah, I would say that you don't need the big fancy studio. You don't need all the equipment. I started out using a free audio editor audacity and a hundred dollar field recorder that had a built-in microphone on it and just went out and started talking to people and putting things together. So, you know, read, make noise or, or, or look up some articles, develop a plan. Sure. But don't limit yourself because you think, Oh, I don't have all the gear. I don't have all the fancy shiny things that I see other folks online having or whatever it is, the whole comparison trap, just go for it. You, you can really start with so little and still make something that sounds great. We get posts quite often on the R podcasting subreddit. And if I haven't said so already, both Nick and myself are moderators on that subreddit. So we get a lot of posts, but we're in there a lot, basically. And we get a lot of posts of people that come along and say, how can I use my phone to podcast? And there's a lot of people that come in and you really should get a, a real microphone or you need an audio interface and, and stuff like that. Yes, I get that part. And as a host of Better Podcasting, I would recommend that. But also as a host of Better Podcasting, I agree. Just start, you know, get that cell phone out, you know, use the voice memos, get those recordings and at least start podcasting. And that's a, a way to do it. So I would agree with that. Yeah, I can't recommend the phone, to be honest, but there's some like go, the Zoom H1 is performs, records professional quality audio and it's only a hundred bucks. <laughs> And you can hook it up to your computer and use it for voiceovers too. So, right. I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I'm just thinking of the college student that's in their dorm room. They, they want to do a, a, you know, two guys, True. one mic sort of thing. And like, okay, well, if that's what you're going to do, you're not going to get a ton of listeners anyway. And then oh, well, just uh, to circle back on that really quick, you said a couple of times, if you're going to make a podcast that might become a really big hit podcast. Yes. That's what all podcasters kind of want. What we focus on better podcasting is more of a realistic viewpoint of things. Which I love, actually, about what y'all do. Yeah, of growing a community, of, of finding like-minded people, basically, is kind of one of the main things. Now, we don't disagree with, you got to make a good show to grow and, and get your big audience and stuff like that. But a lot of the genre stuff is not going to be a huge hit anyway. Yeah, and I think that making it for the joy of making it is totally, totally okay. And I think that most people who make podcasts, I dare say, have kind of have that dream in the back of their mind, you know? Maybe if it's not the big hit show, just the the big hit show in this particular niche. But, you know, making something just for the joy of making it is so totally okay and can be rewarding and, you know, like the 38 never got really big, of course, but I grew so much as a person through it and yeah, there's so much more to it than just listeners. <laughs> I think I've told this story before on the Better Podcasting Main Show, but I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, 
And I was in the studio when Joel Hodge of Mystery Science Theater 3000 was first making his cable shows. And so I was there and that was Joel Hodge making it. He, yeah, he wanted to get it off the ground, but he was literally doing it because at that point anyway, before he moved to New York, because it was passion. Now, once he moved to New York, of course, let's make it big, that sort of thing. But yeah, right. uh, it was fun watching Joel back in those days. He would not remember me, oh, by the way. Uh, this is going back, I don't know, 40 years or something like that. It was, it was funny when I was, when I was volunteering at city college and get kind of onboarding folks who would come in and want to start, start a show. I was, it was always either they were, they were trying to be Joe Rogan or Howard Stern. That's who everyone wanted to be. <laughs> and I would, my first thing I would do was, was recommend them some, some shows. Not that, you know, there's Howard Stern and Joe Rogan are great, but <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of other people out there. Yeah. Know? I'm shocked. Nobody wanted to be Rush Limbaugh. Oof, yeah, San Francisco, you know? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm totally shocked. That's kind yeah. of where I was going there. Yeah, right. Do you have any favorite moments from any of your shows that you want to share? Oh, gosh. Man, that's really tough. There's, there's, it's like everything and nothing comes to mind, you know? Okay. Well, maybe if you have your back, you, you can talk about that. Uh, sure. Also, wow, 20,000 hertz. Congrats for yeah, I, I just got on that one. Thank you. Yeah, I just got my first writer producer credits on an episode about the sound design and Ted Lasso that actually I was just, just came out. Looking at that because you mentioned twenty thousand hertz and I hadn't seen the feed in a while. I was like, oh, Ted Lasso, that's going to be an awesome episode. Yep, I do it in my extra time, so I the work goes slowly. But I'm hoping to get one or two more episodes out. But I should get at least one. And but I'm hoping to get two more episodes out with them this year. That's been. They're, you know, they're a great crew to learn from. <laughs> it's been good to work with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been throwing this question out to trip everybody up. What is your favorite better podcasting chat with SP episode so far? Oh, obviously the one that you did with Damien, right? Because that was just really cool. To watch. <laughs> you guys chop it up together. Yeah. He's another <laughs> he's uh, uh, mod yeah. for better uh, or, uh, our podcasting. And he's also on the Gonna Geek Network. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 All right. I know we're over time because you requested yeah. to go early to get out of here. This is part of why I requested it though, because I knew it would go over time, but I should still Just be okay. Bit, yeah. But I, I do got to get going. Yeah. I want to thank you very much for coming on the chat with SP. And it sounds like having you back is going to be fun talking about other things. In the meantime, where can audiences find you? You know, you check out 20,000 Hertz. Check it if you want to actually like look me up. My website is in a state of shambles right now, so I can't exactly recommend that. But you could find me on LinkedIn if, you, if you'd like to see the, the work that I'm doing. Search for Nicholas Harder, N-I-K-O-L-A-S-H-A-R-T-E-R. I'll let you rewind to hear that again. And then I have some exciting shows and the works that I'm doing for iHeart. So um, keep an eye out. Or you can message the mods on our podcasting and odds are Nick will be the one that responds. Thank you. That is, that is very true. Yes. <laughs> we, we've had some uh, comical interactions with that too. So maybe we can uh, whitewash some information and, and talk about that next time you come on. That would be fun. I'd like that. All right. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, SB. Thank you for spending your time with Nick and me. If you like content like this, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and like this video. We'd really appreciate that. I guess there's this notification bell that you're supposed to do as well. That'd be great. And if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, please give us a follow on your podcatcher app. 
I've been using Google Podcasts for the first time at work, by the way, and that's actually surprised me at how well it's working in a location that I don't have access to my phone. So I'll give a review of that in the future. Anyway, Stephen and I would really appreciate you giving our our, uh, show a follow and following the YouTube channel. Next week, I'll be chatting with genre podcaster Red Scott. He has done such podcasts as Boars, Gore, and Swords, which was originally a Game of Thrones podcast, and I guess there's that prequel coming out, so he'll be talking about that, and Failure to Adapt, basically stories that change from one form to another. It's like a book that becomes a movie and the changes that are made in the stories as they go across there. And doesn't sound like anything to me, which is a Westworld podcast. And that show is just finishing off. So that'll be a nice chat with Red Scott next week. He's also a microphone aficionado. And I'm sure we'll have some good tech talk on that episode for all you techies out there. So join Red and myself Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022 at 8 p.m. Eastern time streamed on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel. In the meantime, join the podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord, or you can join Nick and I over on the r slash podcasting Discord subreddit. All right, we'll see everybody next time. Bye.